0: It's going to be in Matthew chapter 10 this morning, if you want to turn there. We're going to be reading verses 24 through 33, but we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 32, so you can prepare for that. Uh, I want to begin just sharing a little bit of... Uh, of advice as we're uh, as we're reading as we're studying scripture as we're interpreting scripture a little question i like to ask especially if i if i hear something if i hear an interpretation of the text or someone's thoughts on a subject if i hear something and especially if it doesn't quite seem right if i'm questioning whether it's true or not one of the first questions i ask and this is simple okay this is not this is not academic bible study this is not you need to go to college this is a simple basic tool for keeping ourselves on the right track and the question is this am i using or is the other person using their understanding of the meaning of a single word to influence how they see this entire verse or passage, or are we allowing the context of the Bible to define the term for us? I don't know if that made sense, so I'll say it a different way. We often get into trouble when we determine the entire meaning of a passage or a part of the Bible based on how we understand one word. And this isn't really even just a principle for biblical understanding. If you have any sort of relationship with another person, if you've ever got into arguments or disagreements, what we find is often disagreements that we have with other people really just boils down to the fact that we have a slightly different definition of a single word. right? And that could be something as simple as how we define quality time. Right? or even time. If you say to your spouse or significant other, I would like to spend more time with you. For one person, spending time with someone else might mean cleaning up the house, or being in the same room doing different things, right? We're just going to... We're maybe, we're, we're maybe going to help some relationships right now. How many people... <laughs> Spending time with someone else can look like being in the same room doing completely different things. How many, show of hands, how many people would say that? How many people would say, no, 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 no. Spending time is doing an activity together. How many people would say that? All right, I couldn't count all of you at once. Did anybody, is anybody sitting next to someone else that answered opposite you? We've got a couple a couple hands. That's probably probably a good thing, right? So we understand that that my wife could come to me and if her understanding of spending time together is we do an activity together and mine is we do separate activities in the same place and she says you never spend time with me. And I say we spent time together all yesterday afternoon, right? And we could go back. And ultimately the whole argument is just that we have a different definition of that. Word And in the same way, when I'm reading through the biblical text, as I'm interpreting myself, especially as I'm, in, as I'm looking at someone else's interpretation, if their interpretation, if what they believe a passage means hinges entirely on how they define a single word, that's a, that's a red flag for me, if I see it in someone else or in myself. Now, it would be a red flag if the Bible were written in English. Even if it were written in English, again, even my wife and I speak the same language and we have a difference of opinion on what words mean, it's even more significant and obvious when we have a text that's been translated from multiple different languages. And so if we find ourselves having a belief, and everything about that belief just comes from the interpretation of a single word, word, then we need to stop and take a step back. Look at the context of the verse, look at the context of Scripture, and say, what does all of Scripture have to say about the subject? Now, I open with that because this passage that we're going to look at is a great example of how we can get into trouble if we operate that way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me begin to read for us. And again, we're going to read the whole passage, but we're going to focus on one verse. Beginning in verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the verse we're going to focus on, again, is verse 32. And you've probably guessed, based on the intro, uh, that the word that we're going to talk about is the word acknowledge, right? Anybody else have a different translation than that? You have, what do you have? Confess. confess. Yeah, there's probably a few that have that. Uh, every translation has one of the two, at least of the nine or ten that I looked at, they all translate it either acknowledge or confess, And so this, I think, is a great example of a verse that we, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you probably know it, you've probably heard it read many times, you've probably heard sermons on it, Um, you understand the verse, and you've probably, like most of us who grew up in the church, have spent time trying to figure out how to put this into practice. You've perhaps even spent some time staying awake at night, thinking about, am I doing this verse right? Maybe not literally, but at least metaphorically. You may have lost some sleep over it. But I believe this is a verse that really shows how we can allow our understanding of one English word to significantly impact the way we apply ourselves, apply and interpret the passage. Because ultimately... The action in this verse is this word, acknowledge, or sometimes it's translated, confess. That tells us what we're supposed to do, and we, as human beings who are drawn to law, who are drawn to answers, who are drawn to concrete, we like seeing action words in the Bible, right? Because action words are a checklist, and a checklist is a really good way to know that we know that we're good, right? That we've done what we need to do. We as humans are drawn to law. We are not drawn to ambiguity. We are not drawn to things that are even more relational in nature. We want to know. We want to know what we are supposed to do, right? And so when we see... An action word, we like to grab hold of that. And it's good to want to serve God. I'm not saying that we want to be people that don't want to serve. We don't want to be people who, do, who shy away from action, but we like grabbing onto things that we can do because then we know we've done and we can move on. So we latch onto words like acknowledge. But as I think about it, as I think about the word acknowledge in my understanding, if I really if I think about how I use it in day-to-day life, it doesn't really say much for my relationship with Jesus. If I'm in public and I see a person perhaps that I know and I acknowledge them, to me that's really the, that's the lowest form of human interaction right And this is just my definition, right You can have a completely different one and that just kind of proves my point but my definition if I if I was if I was out in public and I saw my wife across the store and we hadn't planned to meet there, we just happened to be at the same store at the same time and I acknowledged my wife, I don't think that that would quite be enough, right? If I'm walking through the grocery store and I see the gentleman who takes my card at the car wash, I would acknowledge him, right? Hey, car wash guy, and then I'd move on. If I was walking by my wife unexpectedly in a store and I just said, oh, hey, and then kept going. In the same way, when I get to heaven... And I walk by Jesus for the first time, I don't really, I mean, I know he's, I was going to say something that's, I was about to say, I know he's busy, but that's heresy. (laughs) But when I get to heaven and I picture walking by Jesus for the first time, he goes, oh, hey, and he keeps going. That's not the relationship I want, right? Right? That's not the relationship I want with my Savior. So, so even if I did that fully, even if I, oh hey, in my life fully, if that's all I'm receiving from Him, that's and that doesn't line up with Scripture, right? Like the incarnation is about more than Jesus just giving us a, oh hey, what's up, passing the grocery store. God didn't become man to simply acknowledge that we exist. He God became man to intimately understand and live with and have relationship with and, and to sit around the table with us. and to It's a completely different thing. So I looked up a good first step. Um, and if you'd like to get into to the study of Greek, I have some very accessible tools for you to do that. But a good first step when reading the Bible is to look at original language, if we have it available. And uh, as I read through the Strong's listing for the word that is translated confess or acknowledge, uh, it's the word homologeo, and uh, and Strong's breaks it down into four possible definitions. Uh, Nothing magic or amazing about these, but it's a good summary, and I think it's important for us to, to look at gives us four definitions, four ways to apply or to interpret this word, all of which I think apply in this setting. The first one is to say the same thing as another, to agree with or to assent to to to, uh, to agree with, to Accept, to confirm, to this is us saying to Jesus, we believe what you have told us to believe. We believe in your law. We believe in your commandments. We believe in, in the way you've called us to live our lives. It's a, it's a term of agreement. The second definition is to concede, to not refuse. It can be used to say to promise, um, it, it can mean to admit your guilt right that like confessing to a crime sort of i admit that this is true sort of thing the third which i think is probably the most popular interpretation of this passage is to profess to declare openly to profess one ourselves to be the worshipper of someone and the fourth is to praise or to celebrate Those are four different ways that we can apply this word. Now, first of all, I think that many of us probably emphasize one of those over the other. I know for myself, if I am guilty of going one direction over the others with this verse, it is the third definition to profess this idea of just making sure everybody knows that I am a follower of Jesus. And in my younger days, especially in high school, especially growing up in a context where I didn't have many, if any, other Christian teenagers in my small rural high school, um, I, there was a day I woke up, and I still remember it, and it was right. It was in, uh, it was in late September. It was right after our Bible quizzing kickoff for the year. I had had a, tr- a tremendous weekend at that, and I came back, and on Monday morning, I decided to wake up and wear one of my Christian T-shirts. How many people have some Christian t-shirts at home? Any, any remnants of the '90s? So I woke up and I had, so I woke up and I wore this T-shirt. Which wasn't bad, let me just say, it wasn't bad, and it's not something that I would discourage anyone necessarily from doing, but it was my way of saying, I am going to confess to the world, I am not going to hide, I am going to openly admit and even advertise on my person that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Everything up to that moment is fine, what happens next is not, which is the check, Right? As I look at this verse and say, huh, I want Jesus to confess me before the Father and in heaven. So I will confess him by wearing this t shirt. And I check it off the list. And I missed almost entirely many of the others, primarily the first, which is to say the same thing as another, to agree with. And you can't agree with what Jesus says without doing what he says to do, right? As Jesus says, let me forgive you, let me change you, let my spirit sanctify you and cleanse you and change you. I can't say I agree with that, but don't do it, right? It doesn't work. So ultimately, that first definition of this word is one of the most important definitions for us holiness people in the Nazarene in the Wesleyan tradition that we believe that being a Christian is about more than just being saved and forgiven of our sins it is about allowing God to change us from within to be better people to be more like him and so me in high school and again i'm not i'm not saying that these definitions are true because they st- are in the, the Strong's Dictionary, I see them to be true in Scripture, right? This is the life God calls us to. I was really heavy on my emphasis of professing and making sure people knew why I believed things and why I did things, but I was a lot less on kindness and graciousness. And many of those shirts that were a way to profess my faith moved into judgment, Moved into things that were accusatory. Moved into things that pushed people away, rather than drawing people to Christ. And so in my acknowledging, I was really heavy in one area over another. And maybe you've done something similar many Christians have. I think if I was going to pick one of these that most Christians struggle with the most as an overemphasis, it is profess. Or perhaps that's just the most obvious because it's the one that shows up on billboards and bumper stickers. But there's also a question I have to ask, which is how do we get so off track in our interpretation? How do we lose focus? How do we get unbalanced? And it's really interesting. Because when you look at verse 32, and actually my translation doesn't have it, mine just says, so most of your translation will have... Oh, here it is. It's in verse 31. Mine does have it. In verse 31 it says, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And then in verse 32... Many of you also will have another, therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. You see, before Jesus gives us this verse and calls us to acknowledge him before men, he gives us this story, these preceding verses about how we are of more value than a sparrow, about how the hairs on our head are all numbered, and he tells us to fear not. And so what Jesus is saying, when he gives us this direction about acknowledging him, he gives it to us in the context of us having value. And that's where we need to start. And I believe that that's what we really miss when we come to this verse. Because what often happens is we come to this verse with the assumption that we don't have value from a perspective that we lack value and that, in fact, we need to earn our place in heaven. We come to it from a place of fear. Now, what I've noticed as I read the Bible is anytime Jesus tells us not to fear, there's a reason for it. Right, And it's, it's because he's about to say something or do something that inherently will cause us fear. In this context, when he tells us to fear not, it's because he's about to give us this instruction about acknowledging him. And he says, look, I want you to acknowledge me, but don't do it out of a place of fear. Don't do it out of a place of you don't think that you're enough that you're not good enough. Don't do it thinking that I, your father didn't already see you. Don't acknowledge me to get the father's attention. He already knows you. He already knows how many hairs are on your head. You already have value. Do it from a place of love. But I mentioned at the beginning this kind of idea of getting kept up at night. By this verse. And I think we all have at some point been concerned. Am I acknowledging him enough? But the context that we're given is the opposite. He says I don't want you to be afraid because of this. I don't want you to be nervous because of this. But I desire to be in relationship with you. And if you choose to be relation in relationship with me. I surely will be in relationship with you. If you take a step towards me, I will surely take a step towards you. And so what happens is, when we allow fear to drive our faith, when we allow fear to drive the actions that we take as believers, the way we live our lives, we will always, in those moments, gravitate so much more heavily towards the black and white, towards the law, towards the prescribed way of living because we are so terrified and we have to know that we've done it. That's where that legal that's where legalism is born. Legalism is born in fear. Legalism is born when we need to know that we've done it right because we're so terrified of doing it wrong. And Jesus says, don't He says, Don't don't be afraid. And he gives the example of the hairs on our heads being numbered, which is not at all practical. Right? There's no It's not at all there's no practical reason for that. Right? There's no He said, Don't worry, you're worth more than many sparrows. Your father knows how much is in your bank account. He doesn't say, don't don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows and, and, and God knows all of your talents. He doesn't say he knows how many friends you have. He doesn't know all of your possessions. He doesn't know how many couches you can carry up a staircase so you can go help your pastor move on a Saturday. He says the hairs on your head are numbered. the kind of detail that first of all shows that God's understanding is so far above ours and I've seen I've seen some young people in relationships and in first relationships go to fairly absurd lengths to know everything about the other person and to know every moment of every day what they're doing and what they're thinking right we've all seen young people in first relationships that just go to absurd lengths to know everything about one another. And even even the craziest middle school relationships don't try to number hairs on heads, right? God says, I, I know things about you that there's no reason to know them. God knows things about you just because they're about you. Not because they serve any practical purpose, but just because he knows you. So don't be afraid. Don't operate out of fear. But live in such a way that you're acknowledging me before men. Now maybe one of those four really stood out to you as an area where you are perhaps too focused, or where you're not giving enough attention. And again, there's nothing incredibly profound about those definitions. They're, I, I think they're self-evident. Or maybe where you're landing this morning is that you're recognizing areas in your life where you're operating as a Christian out of fear instead of out of this loving relationship that God has with us. So we're going to close our service today with a time of communion, which I think is very appropriate for this message. We don't come to church just to fill the parking lot and show the world that people still believe in Jesus. It's not why we come here. Is it a benefit? Absolutely. But we don't come here just to cross it off our list. We don't come here just because it's so important that we learn something. We don't come here for any of those things alone. We come here to be in relationship with our Savior. We do that through our relationship with others, and we do it by gathering here at the table. that Jesus acknowledging us and us acknowledging him is about more than just a wave or a t-shirt or a Facebook status or a bumper sticker on your car or anything like that. The language and any single word in the English language cannot be Fully sum up what our relationship with Jesus is meant to be. In the same way that a single word can't adequately describe the relationship between spouses or between best friends or between your close siblings or anything like that. Our relationship is deeper. It is fuller. It is far more intimate let's pray Lord we thank you for your love for us we thank you for being one who came to commune and sit around the table with us and so Lord as we live our lives for you I pray God that we not live in fear that we are people who embrace Sorrow, we are people that embrace sadness, we embrace pain, and we face those through your joy. We are people who recognize that the opposite of joy is not sorrow, but fear. You do not call us to be a happy people, you call us to be a joyful people. So may your joy be our strength in the times when we need it most. Let us not operate in fear or worry or anxiety, but in the freedom that you bring. May we, your people, honor you in all that we do. We ask these things in your name. Amen.